Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Madeline. And today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Letters from No One. So, the summer holidays have begun when this chapter starts, and one day Harry is ordered by Uncle Vernon to go get the mail, and he sees one letter addressed to him, Harry Potter, at the cupboard under the stairs. And Vernon and Petunia freak out. They try to stop the letters from coming in. They um, move Harry around the house to different bedrooms. Eventually, Vernon panics, takes the family out of the house to a hotel. When the letters still find them there, they go to a cabin on a rock in the middle of the ocean. Harry realizes it's about to be his 11th birthday, and there comes a loud knock on the door when the chapter ends. All right, thanks, Maddie. So now that we've recapped what actually happened in the chapter, why don't we talk about the uh, the title and what we think it means? So why don't you start? Yeah, so this is the letters from no one, and I think the literal meaning of this comes from when Harry asks Vernon who's sending him these letters, and Vernon replies, no one, and says that it's been all but a mistake. The letters also don't provide a return address, only the Hogwarts seal, so for those who are uninitiated like Harry, um, they don't know where the letters are coming from. I think in a deeper sense, this idea of calling the wizards no one is interesting because Vernon's literally trying to erase them from reality, um, saying that these people are no one. And there's an interesting scene where Vernon is boarding up the mailbox trying to keep the letters out, and Petunia's telling him that she doesn't think that this will work. But he says back to her, these people's minds work in strange ways. They're not like you and me. So he's further separating themselves and saying, they're not normal, and you don't know, they're stupid. They won't, they won't figure this out. Um, he's trying to assert his dominance over the wizarding world, but Petunia knows that that's really not going to work out. And another thing that I was thinking about is that um, we actually, as readers, don't know where the letters are coming from. Um, so in that sense, this letters from no one really is true for us as well, because we don't know what Hogwarts is yet. We can maybe infer that they're coming from Dumbledore and McGonagall, like who we met at the beginning of the book, but we really don't know as well. And getting back to what you were talking about with Vernon, I think that's a really interesting point to make. I mean, he really is uh, trying to erase them from existence by just ignoring them and sort of shutting them out of his mind, Um, which if you think about it is a very common human thought pattern, um, basically that refusing to admit something must mean that it's untrue. We see this all the time in the Harry Potter series and in the real world as well. In the Harry Potter series, a great example is in the Order of the Phoenix Um, The Ministry of Magic refuses to admit that Voldemort has returned, even in spite of all of this evidence coming from such trusted sources as Dumbledore, and they just shut their eyes and they pretend that it's not real, thereby making it appear to them as though it is untrue, and that that perpetuates for a whole year. And in the real world, um, you know, you see people that have these um, very outlandish theories about the way things work, and the only way that they're sort of able to perpetuate those thoughts is by denying the existence of of any information that would contradict it. So this really is like a very human thing that we see Vernon doing in this chapter. By attempting to deny that wizards are even real, um, he's trying to perpetuate this semblance of normalcy that is very important to him. And so he really is pretending that they are coming from no one, that they're not real, that it's not happening. Um, It's just a flat-out denial of the situation. So um, it really is a cogent title, The Letters from No One. 
Okay, so now we'll move into our section where we talk about important plot points of the chapter. David, do you want to start? Right, so we usually start by talking about characters that we've been introduced to. Um, we really haven't been introduced to any new major characters in this chapter. Um, so instead, we're going to go more in-depth with how they behave under pressure, and specifically um, how each of the four major characters that we are following are responding to what is essentially their first brush with a real shakeup. So we'll start with Harry. Harry mostly responds to this situation with just an insatiable curiosity. Um, he really wants to find out who's behind the letters, what their purpose is. He's always been treated as a non-entity by his family and his schoolmates, and now he has someone so determined to talk to him that they're sending him dozens of letters every day, and they even find him when they're staying at a tiny inn in Cokeworth and send him hundreds of letters overnight. So he knows that there's something funny going on, because otherwise they wouldn't know, for example, that he's staying in the second bedroom tonight instead of the cupboard, or that he's at an inn in Cokeworth. So he's really determined to figure out what, um, and this is our first characterization of Harry as a sort of detective character, which is really cool because in throughout this whole series of books, Harry is definitely a detective character. I mean, he really likes to solve the mysteries. And if you think about these books um, in that light, each of these books really is a, an attempt by Harry and his friends to solve a particular mystery um, about goings on at Hogwarts. And so this is his first real brush with the mystery, and we're getting to see him sort of try to parse out what's happening. Yeah, I think that's really cool. I think that it, these are, in a lot of ways, detective stories. Um, yeah. And this is when it starts. Another thing I think is interesting in general about the chapter, but also related to Harry and his contact with this new magical world, is that this is his, he's had hints of it before, but this is his first real contact. And um, at the end of this chapter, we have a knock on the door, which we know is Hagrid. And Hagrid is literally about to force himself into this, um, you know, shabby little shack, which is a symbol of what the last ditch effort that Vernon has made to shelter himself from this magical world. Mm -hmm. And Hagrid is literally about to force the door open and storm in and change everyone's life. So I just think that's really interesting, specifically for Harry, who's desperate to figure this out in the form of Hagrid, the magical world is going to be pushing in. Yeah. And if we think about it in terms of a fairy tale, like I alluded to last podcast, this is almost sort of gothic in its imagery. I mean, like the hut on the rock in the middle of the sea, and there's a storm going on. And at the very stroke of midnight, Hagrid bursts in. We have, he hasn't burst in yet, but he's going to. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. very, it's very much a fairy tale in that way. It is. And we'll talk a little bit more later about what this might mean that he comes in exactly at midnight. Mm -hmm. But back to the main characters and how they're responding to these changes. So Dudley is really responding with anger, frustration, whining, um, especially when his comfortable life is shaking up, like when he has to miss his TV shows and things like that. Um, even when they're driving through the wilderness trying to find some place to stay, he's gonna just wants to, you know, go back home with his toys and his TV shows. Um, so it just further establishes him as a very lazy and comfortable kind of dumb character. Um, so that's pretty solid. I think Petunia is really interesting for me in this chapter because she is, you know, really responding with fear and worry as well, like Vernon. Um, but she seems to expect this eventual outcome and seems to know that attempting to ignore the problem won't make it go away. Probably because she has seen this in her own family and with her sister and knows that you, if you are a witch or wizard, you're going to get contacted about going to Hogwarts and 
you can't really avoid the magical world. Um, she really seems more concerned about the safety of her family. She doesn't really seem to care that much about the letter writer making contact with Harry in particular. Yeah, she's a very complicated character. We're going to see a lot more of that, I think, next chapter. But I did find that very interesting. I think she probably, through her experience with her sister, probably getting one of these letters or a very similar letter uh, all those years ago, she probably knows exactly what's going to happen and, and, and when and how inevitable it is. And so I think she's often sort of the voice of reason, even though Verna doesn't listen to her. She's saying things like, I don't think that's going to work. Maybe we should just go home. You know, are we, are we sure this is a good idea? Um, and so even though she's very timid, uh, she does sort of know that none of this is going to work. It's inevitable. And Vernon responds, I think most interestingly, as we've said, with a very fearful and increasingly desperate sort of denial of the situation, which culminates, I think, ultimately in a stress-provoked nervous breakdown, uh, where he basically loses all semblance of sanity uh, and just has increasingly wild attempts to uh, deny Harry access to the letters, prevent the letters from arriving, which are humorous uh, to to the reader, for sure. Um, But also sort of betray his unraveling psyche. Um, He clearly has an innate need to appear normal. That seems to be the driving force behind all of this. Um, And his semblance of normalcy and his sort of quiet, comfortable life is finally being shattered by the appearance of these letters, which symbolize, you know, the intrusion of another world behind the scenes, behind the shadows, um, which he denies existing. Um, And so naturally, he has to do everything in his power to keep these letters from from arriving because he wants everything to remain normal and comfortable, which, as we know, is an ultimately futile effort. But I would wonder, and I wonder whether you might know, what could have happened in Vernon's life that would make the appearance of normalcy so paramount to him? Do you think it was like some sort of embarrassment or a trauma? I mean, I don't really know, but I when I think about Vernon, I think that um, a lot of people are like Vernon. I think it's actually not, I mean, his kind of breakdown in this chapter is a little bit extreme, but I think a lot of people in the world are like Vernon, and if they feel like they're going to be associated with anything that people in their community or in their family think is not normal, then they're really going to do whatever they can to um, push that away. And I think that he probably, you know, the fact that he even has Harry, this like adopted Mm -hmm. child is probably horrifying to him. And the fact that he, you know, knows that his wife has this, you know, magic in her family just is, something that he's he's barely tolerating and he wants to push away. So I don't necessarily think that there's something in his past that makes him feel this way. I think that just a lot of people, the way that they are raised or their worldview, just really want to push away anything that they think is different and that they're scared of. So I think Vernon is actually, unfortunately, a pretty common type of person. Now that you're saying that, it's making me think, You know, if we extrapolate this more and we go back to what I was saying before about, um, you know, sort of the denial of of facts that uh, interfere with your worldview, that I think is even more common, uh, where people are so entrenched in a position that they don't listen to any information that might contradict it. I think that is maybe a much more common version of Uncle Vernon in this chapter. Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think they really go hand in hand. I think people who are scared of things that are different want to, you know, ignore Mm -hmm. evidence that there are things that are different and 
just yeah yeah it's like fear of change and a fear of others like taken to an extreme right so i think that's where harry potter really does apply to real life one of those ways definitely Okay, so now we're going to move into our section where we talk about the writing of the chapter and interesting things that J.K. Rowling is doing. Um, David, what did you notice? I know you noticed something pretty surprising in this chapter. Yeah, this was um, something that I I sort of noticed about halfway through reading the chapter, and I thought it was very odd. Um, Our narrator, Harry, has almost no dialogue in this chapter. If you actually go through and read it, I think he has about a dozen lines. All of them are near the beginning of the chapter. The chapter spans about a dozen pages. And about halfway through the chapter, he has a conversation with Uncle Vernon. Um, He doesn't speak for another two pages. Uh, And then he has a line, I want, which Vernon interrupts by tearing some letters uh, up in front of his eyes. That's six pages before the end of the chapter. And he doesn't speak again for the rest of the chapter. So... Events transpire like them leaving to go to the hotel, them leaving the hotel to go to see the man with the boat, them driving around in the wilderness, etc., etc., etc. They get to the hut on the rock. There's about three pages of them being on the hut on the rock. And then the chapter ends at the stroke of midnight with the knock on the door. And Harry has no dialogue through any of that. It's all narration and mostly um, Uncle Vernon carrying the dialogue um, and, and Harry sort of narrating along with that. And so it's it's interesting from a writing choice uh, point of view. I'm not really sure why that's the case. Maybe it's just Harry didn't really have anything to say. He tends to be quiet sometimes. Well, I also think it's interesting because you mentioned when we were discussing beforehand that um, the little dialogue that Harry does have is very um, sort of snarky or witty um, kind oh, of yeah, responses that's, that's true. to... Um, to Vernon mostly, but basically just like kind of insults or sarcastic comments. So yeah, yeah, like when he walks in and Petunia is um, dyeing some of his his uh, clothes gray for his school uniform. He says, "Oh, I didn't realize it had to be so wet." Right. Uh, and that's <laughs> he has a lot of lines like that in this chapter, which I I noticed. I guess it's to establish him as sort of a, a witty, funny character, quick witted, you know. But I I don't I don't really understand the. Um, not having him speak for half the chapter. That was an interesting decision. Yeah, and in relation to Harry's lines, I actually just think that there's a lot in this chapter that's um, really funny, and the humor, again, that J.K. Rowling writes with is really struck me. There's a lot from the beginning with, you know, with Dudley's boarding school uniform to all of Vernon's antics and the way the reader and everyone, including Harry, can see the humor in things even as things are going crazy. And um, when we get to our quote section, we can show some of that humor. Yeah, for sure. The, a, a couple other writing things that I noticed. There's this really great moment right at the end of the chapter um, where there's a lot of like sort of dramatic tension set up where Harry is doing like sort of a countdown to his birthday at the stroke of midnight. And he's thinking about all this stuff as he's counting down. And then it, it's like building, building tension, building tension, building tension. And then it's a stroke of midnight. And then boom, at that exact moment, there's a big knock at the door, which we know is going to be Hagrid entering the house. And just one other thing that I wanted to expound upon is that uh, this book is a really great example of a romantic arc. Uh, And the hero's journey is is the central part of that in terms of plotline. 
And this particular chapter would be an example of the call to adventure part of the hero's journey, which means that the the hero, in this case our uh, protagonist, Harry Potter, um, has to be called away from his either comfortable or tension-filled, in this case, life to join sort of his people on his adventure. Um, and in this case, it's sort of the tidal wave of letters that are that are trying to reach him, telling him that he needs to come to a school for magic. And then next chapter will really be the call to adventure, sort of when Hagrid is literally taking him out, I yes. think. But this is, yeah, this is the beginning um, with the onslaught of letters right. to trying to get into him. So now is the section where we are going to discuss our favorite quotes from the chapter. So, uh, Maddie, why don't you start with your favorite quote? Yeah, so as I mentioned, I really love the humor in this chapter. So this is a pretty short quote from page 38. It starts, Dudley was in shock. He'd screamed, whacked his father with his smelting stick, been sick on purpose, kicked his mother, and thrown his tortoise through the greenhouse roof, and he still didn't have his room back. So I just love this chapter. I, I mean, this chapter, but this quote, because I think it's really funny. And I love this sort of list of all the things that Dudley has done in a very matter-of-fact way. <laughs> and I just love the image of Dudley sitting there, you know, in shock with nothing more to say because he's so spoiled that he's never, you know, done all these things and not gotten what he wanted. So it also just is also showing the seriousness of the situation in terms of the fact that his parents are so you know nice to him and spoil him all the time that they really are suffering all this abuse to and they still are giving harry a room because they're so scared yeah it shows that like they can really take a hard line when they need to but like they've never done that before right so this must really be serious and it's almost like when you're reading that i was thinking about it's like it's like he was running through a list in his head of like, okay, my parents aren't giving me something that I want. Yeah, these are all what things What am I going to do knows. in order? Scream, hit my dad, <laughs> uh, vomit on purpose, kick my mom, and then uh, destroy something. Yeah. <laughs> and he went through all of those, and he still didn't get what he wanted. So now he's like, well, I don't know what to do. I'm right. in shock. <laughs> well, my quote is from a little bit farther on. I also picked it because I thought it was very funny, but for a couple other reasons, too. On Saturday, things began to get out of hand. Twenty-four letters to Harry found their way into the house, rolled up and hidden inside each of the two dozen eggs that their very confused milkman had handed on Petunia through the living room window. While Uncle Vernon made furious telephone calls to the post office and the dairy trying to find someone to complain to, Aunt Petunia shredded the letters in her food processor. "'Who on earth wants to talk to you this badly?' Dudley asked Harry in amazement. So I picked this because, again, it's pretty funny. Uh, I really love the imagery of... Uh, a milkman just sort of bewildered handing eggs through the window because the front door has been completely boarded up right. and and when she gets the eggs there I, I imagine her sort of like uh trying to make breakfast and like cracking an egg over the frying pan and it's a letter and then going for another one and cracking it and it's a letter and then she just like dumps them all out and they're all letters yeah. <laughs> she's like what the heck <laughs> and then she grinds them up in the food processor so i think that's great imagery and then you know dudley asks the question that everyone's thinking about that's not in the know and that the reader is wondering too who is wanting to talk to you this badly that they're sending you letters wrapped up inside eggs yeah and i when i was rereading this it also struck me that this is i mean what we see from what we see in the books this is probably one of the first times that 
Dudley sort of talking to Harry and not bullying him, even though he is kind of being insulting, but he's really just like speaking to him, like honestly wondering what's happening. Who wants to talk to you? I guess for I mean, some he reason he's being mean too. He's, he's like, who wants mean. to talk to you this badly? You he's know, it is still mean, mean but, it's but it just like... reminds me of like the future Harry and Dudley when they're older and like the ways in which they'll have these interactions that you know sort of do bring them together in a way or in the way that Harry or Dudley will sort of be in awe of Harry more later on. And yeah. It just I mean, the, the word me amazement is, yeah. is a good one, I think, here. And Dudley is already like, what's so special about you that someone's doing this? Yeah. Because he truly doesn't know. I think he's the only one here besides Harry who's completely in the dark about what's happening. Okay, so in this section, we'll just mention um, one new thing that we noticed or something that struck us on this read-through. For me, it really was um, Petunia's position in all of this. And I know we talked about um, her reaction to everything earlier on, but the fact that she is scared as well and doesn't want magic in their lives, but also that she knows that this everything is unavoidable and she almost sort of seems resigned to this because she knows what's going to happen because of Lily and um I don't know I just I do think Petunia's character is really interesting and when when we're rereading it I'm seeing more you know in her in terms of yeah for sure her life and how she must be dealing with all of this stuff with Harry yeah I, I think she's definitely um been more sympathetic each time I read the series there's more things that I that I not identify with but that I understand Right. About how she's feeling and thinking and acting. Um, the thing that I noticed in this chapter was just right at the end, I think that this is an obvious plot point that Hagrid knocks on the door exactly at midnight, but I never thought about it in this particular way before, which is that do you think there is some sort of rule in place or you know guideline or something that says, um, worst case scenario, you have to go get someone. You can't do it until they are 11 years old. Do you think that like that is a rule? Because he enters at exactly midnight, and he would have probably known the time that he would have had to arrive. He picked that exact night. He could have come earlier. He could have come when they were at Privet Drive. He could have come when they were at the hotel. But he picked that night when they were on the remote rock in the middle of the ocean. Do you think that he did that because it was remote and there wouldn't be other people around to hear them? Or do you think that it was, okay, I need to come when Harry turns 11. That's the earliest that I can do it. And because I really like Harry, I want to come get him as soon as possible. I think that's interesting. I think that could be true. I never thought of that before either. Um, but thinking about it, I I think that this must be a, a special case. I mean, it's obviously a special case, but the more I think about it, the more I think that they really wouldn't go get anybody besides Harry. I think it's really that they're kind of worried about Harry and they know that Harry has probably hasn't been treated very well and they they want to get him. And I think, you know, Hagrid's bringing Harry um, a birthday cake, as we see in the next chapter. Mm-hmm. So he clearly, you know, had it, had planned to get there around his birthday. But I I don't actually think that this was a planned at midnight time. I think that this was, again, sort of a dramatic tension, as we talked about, building up to this birthday countdown. But I think mm-hmm. it was kind of a, a coincidence and Hagrid was just trying to find Harry and and get to him and say, this is ridiculous, this is the last straw. But I don't think that they would be doing this, you know, for 
any old person that didn't respond to letters who turned 11. Well, they, I think they're, I mean, obviously it's a special case. Um, but that said, they do go talk to people if they feel like there is a need. We've seen that happen to one other person, uh, Tom Riddle. Right, um, but again, I think that's another special case. It's another for- special case, for sure. I think writing-wise, it makes a lot of sense to have this scene happen at the stroke of Benet on Harry's birthday. It builds a lot of tension. We've talked about the gothic imagery there. But just I'm trying to just justify it in terms of like the rules of the world. Yeah, I do and think Maybe that's there is the some same. sort of regulation that says they have to actually be 11. And because Harry's birthday is so late, you know... And they don't want to leave it to the last minute. They were like, Hagrid, why don't you just go on his birthday? And then you can you can celebrate with him a little bit and also tell him that he's a wizard. Yeah. Well, that will wrap up this episode of the Harry Podcast, Harry Podcast and the Letters from No One. Thank you all so much for listening. Once again, questions, comments, and thoughts can go to our email, harrypodcast7 at gmail.com. I am David. And I'm Madeline, and we'll see you next time on the Harry Podcast. Knox.